Amen. Amen. Yeah. You may be seated. Good to see all of you this morning. You look good. So do you. Wow. Thanks. All right. Hey, before we uh, get into the message this morning, because of communion and wanting to end sort of on that note, uh, just wanted to make a couple of announcements uh, right now before the message. Men, don't forget about the men's Bible study here through the Oasis. Uh, they've got a great study going, and Woody would love to have more men out on Saturday mornings. So please talk to him out there about that. Also, don't forget this Wednesday night uh, from like 6.30 to 7 o'clock before our Bible study is our Pi Fellowship. It's always the Wednesday or the Tuesday, it used to be, before Thanksgiving. So just bring a little pie and come and we'll share some, some good food as well as get into the Word. It's just a special Thanksgiving message on Wednesday night at our Bible study. Uh, and then uh, don't forget, there's a table set out there for the, uh, we're going to be partnering with Phoenix Rescue Mission this Christmas. And uh, we're asking any of you that would like to bring a new unwrapped gift for a child or adult uh, to be here on December the 6th. Uh, and then they also need some help transporting those gifts. If you'd be interested in that, talk to those folks out there at the table after the service or see Teresa Lindquist. And then one other one. Uh, I asked you last week to consider giving the Word of God maybe as a gift this Christmas to someone, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. And so out there in the lobby we have the, uh, the old book now, Psalms and Proverbs, but we also have now just arrived from a publisher this week, our new Digging into Discipleship Daily Devotional. And this gets someone into the Word of God every day of the year. There's 366 devotions even for leap year. And uh, what I hear from a lot of Christians is, I have a hard time connecting with the Word of God every day. Well, this book would do it, all right? This will get someone into the Word of God every day. So consider that for yourself or for someone else. And then also any of you that have uh, children or grandchildren, Kathy has a great book out there called The Tiniest Tumbleweed, and uh, she would love to uh, share her book with you and your family as well. Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. This is our next to last message in the book of Hebrews. By the way, uh, it just reminded me while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 9 uh, this morning, that next week... The Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're sort of designating that here at the Oasis as a service uh, to just stop, pause, and thank the Lord for the land that he gave us over on Greenfield and Queen Creek. So I'm going to be teaching from the Word of God, and we're going to have lots of worship and stuff, but it's going to all center around the message, the music. It's all going to center around what God has done for us and where we see ourselves going from here. A very, very special service next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock uh, here at the Oasis. And then we'll pick up our uh, series then the following Sunday 
uh, in, in December at that point. So you're not going to want to miss it. We've got a lot of cool stuff to share with you about what God has been doing, not only with the property, but with the town of Gilbert and the architects and all the things behind the scenes. We'll be able to catch you up. And we're going to do it because God has just done some amazing things, and we want to praise him for it and thank him for it. So that will be next Sunday, November the 29th. Last week in chapter 13, we sort of did part one of evidences of our faith in chapter 13. That's what the whole chapter is about. The author is telling us these are the tangible evidences that we are people of faith. And we talked last week about the fact that faith is so misunderstood because even many Christians believe that faith is a nebulous thing, that, it, that they use phrases like leaps of faith and blind faith to refer to biblical faith. But that's not biblical faith at all. You won't find those concepts in the Bible. Faith is actually very concrete because it is always based on what God has clearly revealed to us in his word. Where faith comes in is it is our then obedient response to what God has revealed. There's no blindness to it. There's no leap to it. It's just a matter of whether we're going to obey and do it God's way or we're going to choose to do it our way and not listen to God. And so when you and I know this is what God is, is wanting and we don't do it, that's being faithless. That's being unbelieving. That's why the Old Testament talks about the, the nation that came, uh, the generation that came out of Egypt that God delivered. And God said, there's where I want to take you, that land right there. Yeah, it's filled with big people and, and, and you're going to have to fight, but, but it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Trust me, I'll give it to you. Well, they didn't believe God. They didn't go after that land and therefore they were called unbelieving and faithless and they wandered around for 40 years. The other example I used from the New Testament uh, last week was Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. He didn't do that on his own initiative. He was invited to do that by Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, Peter, on the water. And so in faith, in, in responding in obedience to the word of Jesus, he walked on the water. If he would have stayed in the boat, he would have been faithless. So faith is not anything blind, any kind of leap. It is simply taking God at his word and responding in obedience to it. So when we say we are people of faith, then that means that we are, we are focusing on what God is telling us to do and we're faithfully doing it, if you will. We're, we're putting it into practice. We're applying it to our lives. We're doing it God's way rather than our way. That's what it is to be people of faith and to live by faith. That's why God says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it's impossible to please him because we're not going to please God. We're not going to be acceptable to God if God says, do this, Jeff. And I say, no, God, you know what? I know better. I'm going to do it my way. And yet many times that's what we find ourselves doing. So the author wanted to finish this great letter by reminding his readers, his recipients who were struggling about evidences of faith because part of why they were struggling is they were weak in faith. And as I shared last week, faith is like a muscle. The more you and I exercise it, the stronger it gets. 
So the more that we say yes to God and no to self and no to sin, the stronger our faith, if you will, gets, our faith muscle. The more we say no to God and yes to self and yes to sin, then the weaker our faith muscle gets. And God wants us to be strong in our faith. And the way you and I create that kind of strength is simply that whatever God tells us to do, we do it. And that builds up our spiritual strength and stamina. So last week, he wanted to share with them evidences of faith so that they could focus on the things that God had already told them to do. And this week, we're just going to continue in that vein, beginning in verse 9 where he tells us, do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings. And this obviously comes on the heels of verse 8, where he told us last week where we ended that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in that verse, he's simply saying, listen, God is unchangeable in his character and nature. Therefore, everything that God reveals to us will never change as far as God's perspective on it. God does not expect his people to somehow, you know, uh, hit a moving target. It's always going to, the things that are right with God are always going to be right with God. The things that God says are not agreeable to him are always going to be unagreeable. We're, we're never going to get to a place where God said, well, that was wrong 2,000 years ago, but now it's okay. No, that, that doesn't happen with God. That may happen with human beings, but that never is going to happen with God. You see, God's standards have always been the same, even Old and New Testament. And so he says, look, don't get carried away by strange teachings. One of the evidences, further evidences of being a person of faith is our spiritual stability. That's what he's talking about here. Because he tells us, if, if we are stable people of faith, then because the object of our faith never changes, which is Jesus Christ, then we won't be put before ourselves these new and strange teachings that are always coming down the road. Anything new and novel will distract people who are not stable in their faith. In other words, something new, something novel comes along, and all of a sudden you see groups of Christians or churches or individual Christians just flocking off to what's, what's the next new thing because that's the kind of world we live in. You know, it's never just being satisfied with what we've got and growing and learning in, in, in that. It's always, well, I'm tired of that. Let me go on to something new. The problem with that with Christians and really the problem with all this is for Christians, if, if Jesus Christ is the end-all, be-all, then I never have to go on to anything new because there's nothing past Jesus. There's nothing beyond Jesus. What God calls us to do as Christ followers is to plumb the depths of Jesus our whole life because we're never going to get to the end of him anyway. He's infinite in his being. And it's the same thing with his word. God is never going to reveal more than Genesis through Revelation. What God is telling his people is, don't get distracted by the new and novel stuff out there that's floating around all the time. Get stable. And you and I are stable whenever we start learning this book and begin to know Genesis through Revelation 
and become more acquainted with it and more familiar with it. That's how you and I become stable. That's why Paul told the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that we taught you, whether by speech or by letter. Then he told the Corinthians, Paul did in 2 Corinthians 11.3, but my fear is that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds might be led astray from the pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Over and over again in the New Testament, God's people are taught and warned, stay solid in your faith. It, don't, don't go after new novel stuff. Just dig in to what God has already given you and become more acquainted and more familiar with that. That's how you and I show that we are people of faith. It's by that kind of spiritual stability. It's being rooted, if you will, in what we already know, and in Christ, which is what the Bible says. Notice he goes on to say, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened, and that word strengthened means to be made stable, sure, or solid by grace, not ritual meals which have never benefited those who participated in them. And the reason he's using the meals as an example is because, again, he's talking to first century Jews who at one time had their history in Judaism and, and the rituals of the Old Testament. And he's saying, look, when God revealed himself through Jesus Christ, it was all about grace, not keeping the law, because even when God revealed the law, it wasn't that God expected us to be able to keep the law. The law was given so that we could see we couldn't keep the law, and therefore it would drive us to God. But human beings decided, I'm going to try to be good enough, I'm going to try to be a law keeper, I'm going to try to get to heaven by good works and by being a good enough person, and I'm going to reject what God has said, and I'm going to come my way. The problem is, he says, that when people choose to do that and choose to reject what God has clearly revealed, they're never stable. They're never firm. They're never sure in their life. For this reason, they never can come to a place where they are absolutely 100% sure that they're acceptable, that they've done enough. I mean, you think about it. How many good works do you have to do to please God? How, how many, how, how good of a person do you and I have to be to have a right standing with God and to get into heaven? Are you ever really going to be sure where when you and I accept God's way, which is grace, where it is standing in the accepted favor that God grants us through Jesus Christ and not the earned favor that we try to achieve on our own, then we can be sure. See, I can stand before you today and I can tell you that as a mere human being, Jeff Royce, I know I stand secure with God. I know that I have peace with God. And it has nothing to do with what Jeff Royce has done. 
It has everything to do with I know that I'm not standing there in my own righteousness. I'm standing there in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am standing there in the righteousness that God has provided for me through Jesus. And that's why I can be strong. That's why I can be solid, sure, firm, and stable. And God wants every one of us to be that way. But in order to do that, we've got to be men and women of faith. We've got to give up trying to earn favor with God and trying to make ourselves good enough and to do enough good deeds to get to that place. And we've got to, by grace, accept the favor that God gives us through Christ and stand there solid. That's what it's all about. One of the evidences of faith is stability, you see. And again, we see it, we live in a world of restlessness, even amongst those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Always going after this and that and off to this and off to that, rather than just sinking themselves into Jesus Christ and into where God has them to be and just being faithful over the long haul. That's what God calls us to. And God says, when you do life my way, you will start to see a strength, a stableness, a, a firmness in your life that you've never maybe experienced before. Because you're responding to what I've revealed and you're being obedient. And instead of trying to do life your way, you're doing it my way. And one of those evidences of faith is stability. Are you sure that you're sure? And not only are you sure in your standing with God, are you sure about what you believe and why you believe it? This is one of the reasons why several weeks ago Stephen wanted to start a, a box back there for people to even ask questions because it's another way for us besides teaching the Word of God on Wednesday and, and on Sunday and and through the blog and books and all that, that we can help people to solidify themselves in what they believe and to answer those questions with biblical answers that provide a, a confidence then that people can go, okay, I know now why I believe that. I, I know what the Bible says about that. I can give someone an answer. I can give them proof of what I believe. That's the living a life of faith, being a stable Christian in a very unstable world. The next evidence of faith is the willingness to suffer. Notice what he says in verse 10. We have an altar that those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat from. Again, going back between Old Covenant, New Covenant. He's saying those that are still trying to earn their favor, they don't have uh, access to God because they have no standing with God, because they're trying to come into the presence of God and commune with Him and fellowship with Him on their own. You and I know that we have a place to meet with God, an altar, that we didn't create. We simply accepted it by faith. It was Jesus opening us up the way and access to God. And they don't have a right no human being has a right to just enter into the presence of God on their own. We see that through the Old Testament sacrificial system and the high priest and all that. And even today in the New Testament, you and I don't just waltz into the presence of God 
on our own, the way that the Bible tells us we're able to do that and to speak to God in the very presence of God and be face to face is because we come through the blood of Jesus. We come through the righteousness of Christ. It's coming through the way that God provided for us. It's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone that wants to come to the Father's got to come by me, you see. But then he goes on to say this. Verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood the high priest brings into the sanctuary as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Using again the Old Testament for his readers because that's what they were familiar with. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would encamp together, okay? And, and, if, and if something was acceptable to God and to them, it would be allowed to stay within the camp. If it was unacceptable, then it was taken outside the camp. It was like excommunicated. It was, it was rejected because it wasn't supposed to be within the camp, okay? Well, bringing that concept, in a sense, into the New Testament, God would say the same thing. The things that you and I allow within our lives should be things that are acceptable to God. And the things that aren't acceptable, we should be pushing those aside and, and getting rid of them and shedding them and getting, you know, them out. Same thing in the church. So that's why he's using this terminology here. But then he says this, Therefore, to sanctify the people, to consecrate us to God by his own blood, Jesus also suffered outside the camp. And now, using the term camp to even speak of and refer to the city of Jerusalem. Why did Jesus suffer on the cross outside of Jerusalem? Because within the city environs of Jerusalem, the thoughts of crucifying criminals who were under a curse on a cross was not something that they had any t appetite for to do within the camp, if you will, within the city limits of Jerusalem. So when they would take a criminal under the curse and put them on a cross, it would always be done outside the boundaries of the city or the camp. And the point he's making is Jesus was willing to be rejected from what was acceptable. Jesus was willing to be pushed aside for our sakes, you see. So then he says, we must, verse 13, and this is one of the key verses in the entire book, we must go out to him then outside the camp bearing the abuse he experienced. The author is saying, you and I then, in a sense, need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we are evidencing that we believe in God and that we are people of faith, then we will be willing to fully identify with Jesus Christ no matter what the personal cost to us. That means willingness to suffer is an evidence of faith. Because Jesus was willing to suffer, and not just physically. He was willing to be despised and rejected by people. That's what I, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. 
a man of sorrows. You see, when Jesus took that cross, that cross meant to all those, that was a curse. And yet the Bible says he was willing to become a curse for us so that we could experience God's salvation. He was willing to be rejected. He was willing to be pushed aside and despised. And God calls us as people of faith to be willing to do the same. Instead of always wanting to be liked by people and compromising our faith and what we believe because we want to please everybody and we want to be liked by everybody, he takes Jesus and he puts, them, he puts Jesus right in the midst of them and says, did Jesus live that way? And aren't we to be followers of him? Did Jesus, did everybody like Jesus? No. Even though now, even 2,000 years ago, there's this, you know, weird thought even amongst people that, oh, Jesus was a good guy and moral and all that. Also, that's why they put him to death on a cross, because he was such a good guy. You see, at the time, no, they didn't think he was a good guy or they would have never crucified him. They despised him. He claimed to be God. They called him a blasphemer. He was rejected. And if you and I are going to be people of faith, then we need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ too. Paul says, 2 Timothy 3.12, Now, in fact, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12, all, no exclusions, all who want to live godly, who want to please God above everything else, who want to live according to his standards, not the world's or ours, will suffer. There's no question about it. We will be persecuted. Are we willing to be persecuted? Are we willing to be rejected? Are we willing to fully identify? See, the, the people that were reading this, they were wavering. Because they had suffered so much for the cause of Christ and being a Christian, they wanted out. They wanted to go back, you see. They didn't want to do any, do any more. Let me read these verses real quick, if I can find them quickly. Here's the words of Jesus himself to his followers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. Jesus says, look, I'm not telling you this is going to be easy. If you want an easy life and you want everybody to like you and you want everybody to ple be pleased with everything you do, then Jesus says, don't be a person of faith. Because people who follow Jesus Christ will invite rejection, they will be despised, they will be ridiculed, they will be maligned, they will be mocked, because that's the way of Jesus. And we see it, because in our world now, Christians are going to be more and more hated 
as this time goes on. And what this is going to do, whether we like it or not living in this kind of world right now, is this is purifying the church. Because what God is using this for is to find out who really is with me and who's going to follow me no matter what and who's just the casual, you know, I, I want to try to sort of put up an appearance type of Christian. The world we live in is not going to allow that. Eventually, people are going to have to get on board with Christ or get off. It's sort of like Joshua says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Because any of us that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, not going to be even less popular than it's ever been. Are we willing to suffer? Then back to Hebrews. Gee, I got a couple more. Next is sacrifice. He goes into verse 14 by saying, oh, and by the way, the, the reason we should be willing to suffer is because we have no lasting city here. Not, nothing that, that, you know, we're trying to hold on to is going to last when we go out into eternity. But he says we seek a city that is sure to come. We're looking to heaven. We're looking to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not, we're not putting all of our stock into this earthly life. I mean, think about it. If the rapture was to happen this week and you and your family were all out of here, did you ever think about all the people that's going to go through and pilfer through your stuff? Because you're not taking it with you. So all this stuff that you're accumulating, you realize one day, whether you, you and I die or whether the rapture comes, you're leaving it all behind for others to go through. And that's why this shouldn't be our focus. Because anything you and I come in contact with here isn't going to last. Our focus should be on the life to come, not the life that is. And then he says, through him, verse 15, and it's only through Christ, let us continually always offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, thanksgiving. That is the fruit of our lips. Acknowledging or celebrating is what the word means, his name. Do not neglect or overlook to do good and to share what you have, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. First evidence of faith, stability. Second evidence of faith, willingness to suffer. Third evidence of faith, sacrifice. And the word sacrifice here means very strongly, voluntarily. In other words, God is saying, I don't want your sacrifices, no matter how big they are, if you feel you're bringing them to me because you have to. If you're under some kind of guilt or compulsion, that doesn't interest God at all. The sacrifices that are well-pleasing to God are those that are initiated by us. Those that we do because we want to, out of a gratefulness and love for God and all that he is and all that he's done, not because we feel we have to. That's not a sacrifice to God. So that's one big 
thing about sacrifice. And the second thing is the word speaks about cost. Though we live in an age even amongst Christians where Christians want to live for God and serve God without any personal cost, that's not sacrifice. Even David said back in 2 Samuel 24, 24, when this man that owned a land that David wanted as a threshing floor said, I'll give it to you. And David's response was, how can I offer God a sacrifice that costs me nothing? I mean, the term sacrifice means paying a price, a cost of something. In our study with the women on Thursday night that just concluded this last Thursday, we've been going through the book of Ruth. We were reminded there that the near kinsman redeemer, nearer than Boaz, was unwilling to redeem Ruth and Naomi and the property of Elimelech. Not because he couldn't, but because he wasn't willing to pay the cost. He wasn't willing to make that sacrifice for others. And I think the message of the Bible there in Ruth 4 clearly is then he was forgotten. The one who was willing to pay the price and the cost, Boaz, is now someone that you and I honor and remember to this day. And that's why God allowed Boaz to be the great-grandfather of King David and why he allowed Boaz and Ruth to be in the very line of the Messiah Jesus. Because God is looking for followers that are willing to sacrifice. That's an evidence of faith. Are we willing to pay a price? Are we willing to, to do things that cost us something? Today we live in that world of convenient Christianity. Don't ask me, God, to do something that's out of my comfort zone. Don't ask me, God, to do something that's inconvenient to my time schedule and what I want to do and what I want to accomplish. Don't ask me to give up any time or energy or effort for the things of you because I've got my life and I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'll just serve you when it's convenient. I'll serve you when it's comfortable. I'll serve you when it fits me. But that's not being a person of faith. You look at anybody in the Bible or anyone down through history, any Christian that God greatly used to impact and influence the world around them, and that was a person that was willing to pay a price. To serve God sometimes till it hurt. To not care about the cost. But to say, Lord, if it's for you, Whatever you ask, God, it's, it's fine. Sacrifice. Then, verse 17, submission to God-appointed authority. And here in this verse, he's talking about the local church. Yes. Oh, this is near and dear to my heart, can you tell? Again, in a time and an age where Christians don't even frequent the local church, much less... You're asking me to submit to the authority of the local church? Are you kidding me? That's what he says. Obey your leaders. In the context, your local church leadership. And submit to them. Yield to their authority. Listen, comply. Because they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their, your work. 
He says, let them do this, the local church leaders, with joy and not with complaints. It means to sigh, moan, or groan when you're brought up, for this would be of no advantage for them, no, for you. Now, obviously, he's already said, look, local church leaders, pastors, you are responsible to be the leader I've called you to, and you better speak my message to God's people, not what you want. But the people of God, an evidence of faith in our lives is when we are willing to live under God's authority that he has appointed out. And one of those places where God says, I want my people to learn to live under authority is in the local church. I'm going to say this. As I said, there is a heavy responsibility on us as spiritual leaders to be the leaders we need to be. But God tells us in his word over and over again, if you don't learn to place yourself under the authority that I have granted certain places, then you'll never live under my authority. You'll never be willing to do that. That's why God says to children, children, submit yourself to your parents. Why he says to wives, submit yourself to the headship of your husband. Why he says to husbands, submit yourself to your head, Christ. It's why he says to all Christians, submit yourself to governing authorities. It's why he says to all of us, submit yourself to one another. And why he says to those in the church, submit yourself to the local church leadership. See, I think even one day that Christians in, a local, in, in local churches will have to actually give an account of why they even chose certain churches and certain church leadership over others. I think I blew a couple away a couple weeks ago when I talked about this because they were saying that they were going to, you know, leave our church and go somewhere else. And I said, and that's fine. That's your choice. But I, I reminded them, I said, you, you realize then when you leave the oasis, I am no longer responsible before God to watch for your soul. You now are placing yourself under another pastor to be your sole caregiver, in a sense, before God. Well, you'd have thought when I said that, I was talking a foreign language. It was like they hadn't even considered that. And I'm thinking, you're getting ready to leave a church and go to another church, and you haven't considered that? It's important. Because one day... Even though God is going to hold Jeff Royce responsible for the entire church, the Oasis, and I'm going to give an account for this entire body of believers, God is going to hold every one of you, no matter what church you go to. And if you don't go to church, he's going to say, and why weren't you part of a local church? Because I called people to care for your souls, and why didn't you place yourself under their authority and allow them to care for you and to teach you the word and stuff? Why, did, why didn't you not do that? But even for those that do, I think he's going to say, why did you choose to place your soul under the care of that church and that pastor rather than that church and that pastor? Why did you place yourself in a church where you never heard the word of God and you never grew when over here you could have placed yourself in a church where you could hear God's message and you could be who I 
called you to be. I think Christians are going to have to give an account for that one day, just as leaders are going to have to give an account of who we are. And it all goes back to being willing to submit to God's authority in our life. And we all live under it. And if we all aren't willing to live under authority, as I said earlier, then we'll never accept God's authority in our life. When God tells us to do something, we'll blow it off and say, God, I'm going to do it my way. Because part of the way you and I learn and train ourselves to live under authority is when we trust God enough to go, God, I don't always agree with what they do. I know they're fallible. I, I know they're, they're finite. They're not you. But ultimately, Lord, I'm not placing myself under them as far as having faith in them. My faith is in you. And that's the evidence of faith. Whenever we have enough faith in our lives, not to look at the human being who's over us, but the God who's over them. That's an evidence of faith. And then finally, verses 18 and 19, supplication, which is just another word in the Bible for prayer. <laughs> Had to keep the S's going, right? So notice in verse 18, he says, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to conduct ourselves rightly in every respect. I especially ask you to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Pray. Whoever this was, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, they were asking for prayer. The word prosukomai, the Greek word that's used here, literally means to turn to God. To turn to God. Face God. And it takes faith in each and every one of life's situations to turn to God. Because so often, something comes into our life, trial, tribulation, crisis, whatever, we can turn to so many other people and other places, but the evidence of our faith is, are we turning to God? And are we willing to come into God's presence and face God in that moment? That's what prayer's all about. That's why, too, it's very interesting that this particular word that the author uses for prayer here, or to pray, and one of the words that's used, it's, it's translated for worship in the New Testament, is very close. In other words, praying like this is, in a sense, an act of worship. Because its meaning is to come before God and say, God, as I'm praying, I'm realizing it's not about what I want, it's not about my will, it's not about what my wishes and desires are, it's about your wishes, desires, will, and wants. It's what was exemplified by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will, God, but yours be done. That wasn't just a prayer, that was an act of worship. And that's why it goes along with what we just talked about, about submitting to authority. Because even in that moment, in his humanity, Jesus was submitting to the authority of his Father and saying, if this is the plan, I'll go through with it, as he was praying. That's why God calls us to prayer. Because sometimes we, again, get this erroneous idea that prayer is just about asking God for things and, and asking him to do things. That's a very small part of prayer. Primarily, prayer is about coming and turning towards God and facing God and letting God change us. Letting us, in those moments of prayer, exchange our will, 
our wants, our desires for God's will, God's wants, and God's desires. And can I say, that's why there's so much spiritual warfare surrounding prayer and why the devil especially will do everything he can to keep Christians from prayer and praying because the last thing the devil wants is for a people who are willing to submit to God's authority. Why? Because in his fall, that's what caused his fall. Lucifer said, I will not worship this God anymore. I will be like him. I am tired of living under his authority. I'm out of here. And Lucifer, in that act of rebellion, became the devil. And ever since he fell and was not willing to worship God and to submit to God and to live under God's authority, he's been pouring all of his energy into getting every human being to do the very same thing. These are the evidences of faith. Stability, willingness to suffer, sacrifice, submission, and supplication. In just a moment, we're going to be dismissed today and we're going to go back to that table and we're going to capture those elements that symbolize the body and blood of Jesus and the cost involved in bringing us salvation. As you and I go back to that table today, would you be willing to go back with an attitude of God? As I pick up the elements of the bread and the cup that symbolize what you've done for me, I'm also laying down something as well. I've been carrying around something. I need to let it go. I need to shed it. I need to get rid of it. Whether it's my bad attitude, my rebellious attitude, my unwillingness to be compliant and cooperative with you, whatever that looks like in our lives, because here's what God wants from us in moments like this. He wants us to come into his presence and be so transformed by being in his presence and being with him that we are willing to say no to ourselves and yes to him. That we are willing to say no to what we want and to our will and desires and we're willing to say yes to him. That's what it's all about. That's what the great exchange is all about. And so today, would you and I make that table, if you will, that point of exchange? Whereas we pick up the elements that symbolize what Jesus has done for us, we're also at that same moment laying something down. Let's pray, and as we pray, our worship team will come and We'll get ready for communion this morning. Father, we pray so desperately for you, God, to be here in such a powerful way that, God, no one here in this auditorium can, can resist you, can say no to you one more day, one more hour, one more minute. God, that, that your spirit would, would be here in such a, a strong way, God, that all of us would say yes to you once and for all. That we would be willing to comply and yield 
and obey and quit struggling and wrestling. There's nothing, Lord, more exhausting in our lives than when we're unwilling to go your way and to do it your way. But yet, God, there's nothing that fills us with more joy and peace than when we're willing to say yes to you. And so, God, I pray today that as we go back and take these elements, that not only are we taking these unto ourselves by saying we want to commemorate what you've done for us, we want to celebrate what you've done for us, we want to remember what you've done for us, but Lord, in doing that, we also understand we need to stop doing things our way. We need to do them your way. So help us to let go of something, lay down something, shed it, get rid of it, and pick you up and you alone. Father, thank you for the cross. For in the cross, God, there is power. For the preaching of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness, but unto us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And God, I pray for your power to fall upon this place today. For the strength that only God can give a human being to be evident here today. And for you, not only, Lord, to strengthen us individually, but to strengthen us corporately. To draw us into you and to draw us into one another like never before. Because, God, we need to stand with you and we need to stand together like never before. Because this world is being ripped apart by evil and wickedness. And the devil is working overtime on planet Earth. And it is time for your church and your children to rise up and to be the people, God, that you've called us to be in Jesus Christ. Let's stop walking through life in a fog and let's pick up the cross of Jesus and carry it with us confidently. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.